announcements. Uh, the fall is a great time to visit our church. It's the beginning of what we consider our church calendar year. We begin our community groups, we begin our bridge groups, we begin our ministries. And we always try to begin a new sermon series at this time. If you were here with us last year in the fall, we had a series called The Practices of Jesus. And I think it's on the screen up here. We had the different practices that our church focused on and introduced to us. Is there a, is there a graphic up there? The practices? No, there's no graphic up there. All right, all good. But we did have a, gra- we did have a, a Practice of Jesus sermon series where pretty much for all of us, uh, we wanted to introduce... Uh, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, the practices that Jesus did so that we could become like Jesus. And we're just introducing those last year. Hopefully there could be a culture at our church where all of us here are practicing those things so that we could be a church that's becoming more and more like Christ. Today, this year, fall 2023, we're going to tackle the question, well, what does this journey look like to be like Jesus? We have the practices, we have the tools, but what should we expect this journey to be like? And so our sermon series, it's on the journey of faith. We're going to be going through this for the next two months. And so I've been thinking about this, by the way, for a long time. This sermon series, I've been like pondering it for like over a year, researching and thinking about it. Because I really think our church, and especially churches in the OC, uh, we really need to have a series like this. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at John chapter 17. This, is, this passage, it's going to be our North Star for this series. Not going to go too deeply into it today, but it is going to be just the, the thing we point to as we talk about the topic of the series. And so John chapter 17, verses 24 to 26. And here at our church, we believe that when we read the scriptures, that our God is alive and he is speaking. So we all rise together and we're going to read this passage starting in verse 24. This is Jesus. He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays starting verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you speak to us wherever we are in this current moment in our lives? Would your spirit stir in the hearts of your people? May we be awakened to what you have to say, and may we, O Lord, walk away transformed. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Back in November 2014, I'll never forget, my wife and I, we were getting ready to go out to eat Thanksgiving with my family, but she was taking a little bit of time getting ready because she wasn't feeling that well. She was feeling sick, in fact, for the past few days. I'll never forget, right when we're about to get ready to go out, she pops her head out of the bedroom and says, "Hun." I'm pregnant. We weren't happy. We weren't hugging. It wasn't like those movie scenes. We were just in shock. And we just sat down, staring to space, contemplating in complete silence what our life will look like. And I do what I normally do, which is when I don't know what to do, I simply research and I look up what's going to happen. And so pretty much for the next nine months, my wife and I, what we did is we read everything about pregnancy. We read everything about labor. We read everything about delivery, newborns, feeding, sleeping. And so what happened was when we actually had our son who was born, that first year of parenting, really challenging. I know a lot of you parents, if you're a first year parent and this is, you know, during that season where they're really young, really hard, but we survived. We, we, we made it through. And a lot of it was because we learned. We learned how to nurture young children. We learned how to entertain them when they're at that age. We learned how to make sure to set their limits. Uh, but what's really fascinating about parenthood is 
as you get comfortable parenting your child, you have to, everything changes because your, your child changes. They start to grow, and you have to learn new ways to entertain them, new ways to feed them, new ways to nurture them. And so what happened was we had to constantly change our game and adjust. And right now, I have three kids now, and they are all in different stages of life. And so what they need and how I relate to them, it's all radically different. My son, he is eight years old, and all he wants to do is play video games with me and hang out with his friends. And so the main thing I'm doing is I'm playing video games with him and I'm just giving him these life lessons. Like, we don't do that. In the Huang family, we don't do that. I just kind of give him these limitations, training him, because that's what my son needs, I believe, at this moment. My middle, my middle child, she is six years old. She just lives in her own world. All she does is just read and just by herself reading all the time. And I feel like at this stage for her, she needs a lot of affirmation. She needs a lot of like, good job, you're awesome. That world you're thinking of, that's so fascinating. And she just talks and talks and talks and we just affirm her. My youngest child, she is two years old or almost two. And she just wants to control me. Like she just drags my pants and just drags me everywhere, telling me what to do. She needs discipline. Like she needs a spanking. Like she needs something because she's out of control. But I, I don't do it because she's just too cute. She's too young. We're too tired. So it's all good. But the main point is there are different stages of growth that children go through from infancy to childhood to teenage years. And it's helpful to know what they need at that current stage because I should not put diapers on my oldest child. Nor should I just let my youngest child just be able to give her a bunch of freedom because, again, they don't, they're different stages of life. And they need different things. Are there different stages of growth in the Christian life? Is there, are there stages for us? What do these stages look like? What do you need in your stage as you follow Jesus? The problem, I think, with a lot of Christians and a lot of churches is we're told once you become a Christian, you need to grow. Make sure you grow. Don't backslide. Don't stay stagnant. And yet the, the image we have or the picture I don't know about you, but it's so vague. This is a classic picture that I see a lot of what Christian growth looks like. You become a Christian, it's up and down. Some people in my tradition call it progressive sanctification. And then you wait to die, because then G- or Jesus comes back. But what do you do that whole time to grow? We're told, oh, just make sure you read your Bible, you pray, and you go to church. Which again, none of that's untrue. All very true. But that's like me telling a parent, oh, you just had a baby. You know what you got to do? Make sure you feed your child. Make sure you give them plenty of milk and just, you know, have fun. It's like all true. And yet it's so vague. What do we do? What does it look like to grow? And that's why for a lot of us, it's kind of troubling when this this is our only paradigm. Because for a lot of us, if you're honest, the last time you felt like you were really growing, it was back in college. It was back in high school. That's when you're like, that's when I grew. But right now, all the stuff that you felt like helped you grow back then, reading your Bible, going to church, praying, for some reason, it's not as life-giving to you. And so what happens is you just try to double down. We're just going to read more of the Bible. Or you're going to try to double down going, you know, I just need to recapture that. So you start serving in your youth group. You start serving in the campus ministry, even though you're not in campus ministry anymore because you want to recapture those glory days. Or you think, man, something's wrong with my church. I'm just not growing here. Maybe it's a different church I need to go to. But I think uh, that those all might be true, but one problem might be we just don't have a clear picture of what the journey looks like, of what growth looks like for the Christian. And especially what do we need in every stage? 
And so that's why we are doing this new sermon series, The Journey of Faith, where we believe as a church, the Bible describes faith as not just this event that transpires in your life and you wait to die, but it is a journey that God is taking you on throughout your life. A journey means it's not this short trip for me to be. A journey means that it's a long process filled with stops, filled with starts, filled with boredom, filled with adventure, but you are always moving. You are always journeying along. And the question is, but are there landmarks for you? Are there landmarks for the Christian to know you're going the right way? When I drive my, on my way to Vegas, you know how I know I'm going the right way? Those weird colored rocks. I'm like, ah, we're on the right path. When I go to San Diego, how do I know I'm going the right way? Those weird big factories that are there. I'm like, ah, oh, God, it's like I'm on the right track. Do you have landmarks for you as you journey in your faith? Do we have anything as Christians to help us navigate this? I want to propose, yes, we do. There's something that some Christians call a stage theory. It's on the screen what it means. It's the attempt to map our spiritual journey. It is a way to understand how the Christian life looks like. Again, it's more, just think of it, it's a map for us and to see what landmarks and what the journey looks like. It is implicit in scripture, but it is explicit throughout church history where many different Christian thinkers try to just create this map of what it looks like to grow. If you're familiar with the art of cartography, cartography is the idea of making maps. And if you look at a map in California, there's all kinds of maps. There's maps that show the region of California, maps that show the distances, maps that shows the cities, the political affiliations, all these maps of California, same with the spiritual life. There are different types of maps that people propose. And this goes all the way back to the second century with Anselm, to the Middle Ages with Thomas Aquinas, to the 16th century John the Cross, to the 20th century James Fowler. Probably the most famous uh, theory that was illustrated for us of what it looks like is John Bunyan. He wrote in 1678 this book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And his subtitle is From This World to That Which Is to Come. He is trying to show through a story what the Christian journey looks like and what to watch out for. And you don't have to subscribe to any of these specific maps or these theories, but it's helpful to know that there are maps out there and for us to know that we are not alone in trying to figure out how to navigate through the Christian life. And so the purpose of this sermon series is I want us to help to recognize where you are in your journey and how can you move forward. So if you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian but you're curious about Christianity, I hope this series could lay out a map for you of, oh, this is what to look for. This is what the Christian life looks like. This is what it means to journey with God. For those of you who are older and faithful and you're just like loving Jesus, I hope this series could help you grow compassion for other people. Everybody's at different places in the church. Everybody's at a different spot in the journey. But especially for a lot of you, those of you who are tired, those of you who've done the church game your whole life, you served in youth group, you know the deal. Those of you who are jaded, those of you who are busy, those of you who are suffering, those of you who barely made it here on Sunday. I hope this series gives you hope. And not only gives you hope, but could be helpful. How do you move forward? How do you reactivate your soul? And so today I want to propose when following Jesus, two things. You want to go on a journey, and I want to introduce the stages what this journey looks like. So we're going to talk about the importance of a journey, the stages of this journey, and the way this journey works. So again, this is an introductory sermon. It might feel a little different than how we can do the rest of the weeks, but I just want to introduce this new category for us as a church. So first, 
the importance of a journey. Whenever I do premarital counseling with people, I always tell the couple, you're not just preparing for the wedding, you're preparing for the marriage. Because a lot of dating couples, they often see the, the wedding as like the, the finish line. This is when we become husband and wife. But I always have to remind them that the wedding is not the finish line. It is the starting line. That's when you begin to learn what it means to be husband and wife. And I think a lot of Christians, we treat salvation and Jesus and the gospel that way, where God is like this event, salvation is this event that happens where Jesus died for my sins. And again, I just wait for heaven now. But the story of the Bible, it actually shows all the time, no, no, God takes you on a journey. When you begin a relationship with him, it's always a journey he takes you on. For example, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, every significant story, it's all about a journey. Abraham, he was called to be the father of many nations. And it was a journey for him to become the father of many nations. Moses, he was called to be a leader for Israel. And it took a journey for Moses to lead. Israel, they were called to be a holy nation. And yet God took them on a journey to become that holy nation. In the New Testament, when Jesus calls disciples to come with them, he doesn't just go, hey, be my disciples. What does Jesus say? Come, follow me. It's journey language. I'm going to make you disciples. In the New Testament letters, we see that it's all this journey language. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25, Paul writes this, walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's walking, and you're always moving forward. That's the Christian life, according to Paul. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter writes, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Not just be saved, but grow into it. Become more and more like your identity. And the question that we have to ask, though, is, well, where are we growing into? Where are we headed towards? Where are we walking towards? And John 17, the passage we just read, that is uh, an answer that we're given. Jesus is praying to the Father. This is right before he goes to the cross. And we actually see a peak of the Father and the Son, their goal of what the church is supposed to be. Look at verse 26 of chapter 17 again. It's in the program. Jesus prays to the Father, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I in them. In other words, Jesus is praying, the reason why I'm doing this is so that I could, my love could be in them and they could be in our love. In other words, the goal of this journey that we're all in with the Christian life is to abide in God's love and to be formed into people of love. Experience God's love, live out and become people of love. To all the charismatic churches out there, the end goal is not spiritual gifts. That's a means to an end. The goal is to, through those gifts, experience God's love. To all the missional churches out there, evangelize and ends of the earth, that's not the goal. The goal is to bring people into the love of God. To all the Bible churches out there, the end goal is not to just know the Bible. That is a means to an end, to know that the love of God of the Bible, who is this God who wrote the Bible? That's why Jesus says the law and the prophets, they all point to loving the, God, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal for all of us. And so what should, if this is the goal of love, what should this journey feel like as you're going? I like how one author put it. It's a decline in anxiety, a decline of fear, a decline of worry, and an incline of peace, patience, kindness. In other words, love. It's love. Because Jesus, he is love. He is full of peace, patience, kindness, And if you have the Father's love in you, which Jesus had, that's when you're most free to be loving as well. But this takes a journey because there's a lot of stuff inside of us that, man, 
Even though we are in Christ and we are fully loved by Christ, we are not fully formed in him. There's still a lot of stuff that's kind of not formed. There's this book I'm reading called Sacred Fire by Ronald Rauheiser. It's a great book for midlife crisis people. Not to say I'm going through midlife crisis, but maybe I am. But anyways, he, he wrote this one story that just caught my attention where pretty much he, was, he got invited to meet with this small group of ministers, so like five different ministers meeting together. And they all had a, like a food set up around the table, but they didn't touch the food for the first hour. What they do is each, each minister, they just share the most honest, searingly deep, detailed confession of how their weeks went. Like this is like, community group on steroids. Like they go deep. Everything that they're thinking about, all the fantasies that were wrong, all the grumbling that they experienced, they each went super deep. And for Rawhizer, this is like one of the deepest sharing times he ever saw. And so he asked one of the folks like, hey, what, how did this group start? Like, why did you guys start meeting and meeting like this intensely? And one of the ministers, he said it like this. He says, I was a good minister. Like I'm doing fine. He studies, he reads his Bible, he prays, he meets with people. His church is thriving. People love him. But he felt something was off. And the reason why he felt something was off was every time he would prepare to preach or he would meet with people, he'd come away not feeling happy, but feeling like resentful. Like, man, these guys don't appreciate me. Man, these people, like, they're not really changing. Man, and he would just be complaining a lot in his heart. And he noticed that the way he would handle that was he would compensate for himself. What he means by that is, oh, every time there was a holiday, he went hard. Like, man, this is a holiday. Christmas only just had the nicest vacation to compensate for all the hardships I go through. Every time he went to a restaurant, the most expensive dish, he would order it because this is like his time to like feed and nurture himself. You know, so he had sexual fantasies and he just take it on, he just masturbate. That was just kind of the private thing that he would do. And nobody knew about it. He was a good minister. Nobody knew what was going on. And he realized he was doing these things and ironically, it became the way that he could keep becoming a good minister. He needed to order good food. He needed to have good travels. He needed to live out his sexual fantasies privately. Why? Because that's what kept him going. That's how he was compensating for himself. But he noticed as he was doing this, there was like this inner outer divide that was happening. He noticed like he wasn't really feeling like he was growing the way he could have. And he noticed something's just really off the way he was doing that. And he said a quote that just really stood out to me where he said, quote, like, I, he pictured his soul. He said, I picture my soul as a mansion and I had 30 rooms in this mansion and 27 I gave to God, but I was keeping three to myself. And so this minister was saying the, re, the way he needs to grow to be like Jesus, even though he looked pretty good, he had to give up those three rooms. There are three rooms that he was just clinging onto for comfort, for security, for compensation. And this is why you need a journey. Because your souls, if you put, use that metaphor, has many rooms. And perhaps you gave some to God. Five rooms, 10 rooms, 15 rooms. But those are the easy rooms to give to him. Clean up your life a little bit. But man, there are three rooms that some of us are just holding on to. And you don't even know you're holding on to it. There are things that you are clinging to. And it takes a journey for you to even be aware they have to deal with that. I know for me personally, this was how I experienced my life in the gospel. When I became a Christian, I felt fully loved, fully forgiven. And yet I struggled with pride. I struggled with cynicism. I struggled with pornography. I struggled with ambition. All as a Christian, what's going on? I had these rooms I wasn't letting go. I had these rooms where God's grace was not fully filling. And it takes a journey for those doors to open. And so for you, do you ha- are you in that situation as well? 
Have you opened and given God five, 10, 27 rooms in your life? But there are these three hidden rooms that are just precious to you that they, no one could touch. Just know it's going to take a journey for you to open those doors. And that's why, that's what God's inviting us into, to come to a journey with him. And that begs the question, what does this journey look like? What are the landmarks as you journey with God to navigate through the stages of faith? And at least the second point, the stages of this journey. There are a lot of different ways of how people describe this journey. Again, there's a lot of different theories out there. What I want to do is I just want to introduce one theory that I hope can be helpful for us as a church. And then each week, starting next week, we're just going to look at one, one of those stages, do a deep dive in scripture of what that stage looks like, and just talk about it through there. So if today feels like a, like a fire hose going out, just know, very intentional. I'm just trying to introduce it to us as a church, introduce this category, and then next week we're just going to slow down and just look at it little by little. But a couple of caveats before we get into this. One is that uh, each, one stage is not better than the other. I know sometimes we look at like stage one, stage two, and you just think, like the end is better because we're very linear thinkers in the West. Uh, but just know each stage has its unique beauty and its unique struggle. Some of you, you loved high school. Not me, but some of you did. You loved high school. For others, you love college. I love college. But I know some of you don't. Some of you, you love post-grad life. Some of you love marriage. It's all different. Each stage has its unique beauty. Each stage has its unique struggles. Another caveat is this. You are not more loved by God in one stage versus the other. You are fully loved through Christ and Christ alone and what he did on the cross for you. Uh, my kids, when they're age two, I love them fully. When they're age six, I love them fully. The measure of my love's the same. The experience of that love might be different, but the measure of my love's exactly the same, same whatever stage you are in. And last thing, this is just a theory. It's just a theory. It's like uh, the five points of Calvinism. It's like the nine marks of a healthy church. If it's helpful for you, Awesome. If you're not sure about, oh, I'm not sure if I fully buy it, no problem at all. But one thing is you all have to wrestle with this biblical reality that you are called to move deeper in your faith and you're meant to spiritually mature. What does it look like for you? And here at our church, one of our visions is we want to grow in spiritual maturity and we want to help navigate what that looks like for our church. And so what I want to present today is just six stages. I think it has all biblical foundations to it, but I just want to present the six stages to us and to kind of see where are you at, what's brand new to us, and just to look at the journey of what potentially lies ahead. Here's stage one. So here's a stage of faith. Stage one is what some call the recognition of God. This is the Apostle Paul on Damascus Road. This is the Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well. Stage one is when you realize there is more to reality than biology. There is more to reality than Netflix and vacationing. There is spirituality. There is God. And you learn that as you go, continue the stage that this God, he is a holy God. You are a sinner in need of a savior. And God, he offers you forgiveness through Jesus Christ. This might happen at age eight or might happen at age 38. This might happen in one dramatic moment, ultra call at a retreat, or it might take years like it did for me. It might be through this emotional type of pathway for you, or it might be very intellectual for you. Sometimes it happens because you have a great need, something really broken happens, so you need God. Or it can happen because you are just in awe. You didn't realize the beauty of who this God is. This is a beautiful stage. This is a stage, it's kind of like when you first date somebody, where you just see the world differently because you now know there's a God. Your life and everything that, went, that you went through, all the hardships, all the struggles in your childhood, you now see there's a God who's behind all this. He has purposed all this. And so this is a beautiful stage that, again, for a lot of us here, if you're in that stage, it's just great. 
But here's the problem. For a lot of us here, if you're in that stage, you recognize there's more to life than the world, and yet there is still a lot of the world inside of you. For a lot of people who stay stuck in the stage, you love Jesus, but you love to party. You still like to party. You're still, your money is still your money. Your life is still your life. You're still, in other words, attached to the things of the world. And a lot of Christians, especially in the OC, we are in this stage for a long time where our discipleship does not match our profession of faith. And it's a lot of it's because your faith, it might be real, but it is not grounded. It's a lot of emotions. It's a lot of it is experiential. A lot of it's non-committal. And so how do you move forward? How do you grow in the faith when you're in this stage? You have to learn how to follow Jesus and you need to join a community with followers of Jesus. You have to learn the disciplines and you have to be part of a church. I, know, I remember I met somebody at our church. He loved retreats. He loved mission trips. Like he just loved it, but I never saw him the whole year. And later on, he was just like, I just, love, I just feel so close to God. He's like amazing when he's overseas. And I brand, I'm like, oh, you're stuck in stage one. You're, you're used to like these moments with God, but what you actually need is to really learn to follow him. And that leads to stage two, which is a life of discipleship. A life of discipleship, discipleship excuse me. A life of learning. This is the 12 disciples. This is the young rich ruler. Stage two is when you learn a lot about God. You practice the spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, praying. You fight against sin. You no longer do the party thing as much. You have a belief system. You become Presbyterian. You become a Baptist. You become Reformed. You become charismatic, whatever it might be. And in this stage, you primarily learn about God through other leaders. You mainly hear about God through preaching, through Bible studies, through books, through podcasts. And the reason why you do that is because you're looking for answers. You're starting this new thing and you find comfort when somebody has the answers. There's a leader who has the answer. There's a tribe that has the answer. There's a church that has the answer. And you find a lot of comfort knowing in this weird world that you're living in with this new faith, there's an answer somewhere. And this is a very important, necessary stage because you are learning about who this God is that you are in relationship and what it looks like to follow him. But here's the problem. If you stay stuck in this stage, you become strangely, all of a sudden, very narrow-minded. You become self-righteous. You lack self-awareness. And you become very impersonal with God. Anyway, you become very like tribal, like, you know, reformed theology or like charismatic. So you just kind of really just stand your ground that way. Um, and you think it's because you know the truth, but it's because a lot of that's been t- taught to you. I remember there was a guy I knew, he like, I believe in the Bible. Like I believe, I read the Bible all the time and this is my belief and everything he believed in strangely, coincidentally, it's the exact same thing John Piper believed. It's like, wow, you guys match every single the- theological point. And you know who that person was? It was me. Everything I believe about the Bible is John Piper. And I realized like, oh, like what I was doing is I was just parroting the people who were teaching me. And this is where you could get really stuck where anyone who's not John Piper or anyone who's not of your tribe, you think they're like a threat or you think they don't have the truth. You might be nice to them, but you think they're off. And the way to move forward is in this stage is you got to find your own voice. You have to know how did God spiritually gift you and wired you. And that leads to the third stage, which is a life of service. This is Moses. This is Martha. This is a stage where you start to engage with people, you start to serve people, you start to become a, like leading people, you disciple people, you might become a parent, you become very goal-oriented. Your life is busy at this stage. 
This can happen inside the church where you're just leading ministries, you become a pastor, or outside the church, you are career-oriented, you have these life goals that are there. And at this stage, you just recognize this is how God wired you. You gain a vision of what God's calling you to become. You have potential of what you want life to be like. And this is a very exciting stage. For a lot of us here, you're just, again, you're super active. And you just feel like God's leading me, my family, our church somewhere. But a lot of us, we know what the problem with the stage is, right? If you get stuck in the stage, what happens? You get tired. You burn out. You feel like you want to quit, but you can't because the church needs you. If you don't lead the children's ministry, who will, right? If you don't pastor the church, who else will pastor the church? And what's up happening? You start caring more about the things of God than God himself. It becomes this weird season for you. And the question of how do you move forward from this stage is the most difficult question because most people think this is the Christian life. Most people think the Christian life is, oh, you, you become a Christian, you learn, you get discipled, and you become a leader. And that's it. Especially parachurch people, if you went to campus ministries, if you don't become a leader by your senior year, you're lost. Like, what else is there to do? Because that's the Christian life. And what happens is, for a lot of us here, because stages one to three is a Christian life, if you already became a leader, what happens when you're done with your tenure? You spiritually retire. You just kind of graze the field. Because there's nothing left for you to do. You paid your dues in the church. You just kind of retire away. And if this is you, just know this is a tragedy. Because look, we're halfway done. There's half a journey left. This is like my friends who say, I try, you know, you talk about Breaking Bad, that TV show all the time, saying it's the greatest show. I watched that show. I stopped at season three. It's so boring. I'm like, dude, season three is the halfway point. The best part of season four and five. Like, you got to keep going. It is so much more depth to what this show is about. Same with the Christian life. For a lot of us, we stop here, we think it's boring because we think this is it, and we repeat stages one to three again. So what does stage four look like? Stage four is what some call the journey inward. This is what Nicodemus went through. This is Mary after Lazarus died. This is the stage where you realize, huh, yeah, on the outside things look good, but I have a lot of issues. And oftentimes you only get to the stage when something triggers it, like a crisis, it could be a bad breakup. It could be someone gets sick. Someone close to you know passes away. It could be a church split. It could just be simply like you're aging and you're getting older. And what happens is there's like this sadness, this hurt, this bitterness from your past that you just never dealt with because you're just new in the gospel and you just kind of bury that deep within you. And when this, those crises happen, what happens is like, it's almost like something's leaking now. This pain this uncertainty, these idols, these sins. And the things you used to be so sure about, you're just not sure about anymore. This is a confusing stage. People think when you go through this, you're almost losing your faith. And the problem of this stage is you've gained a new awareness of life and the answers you once had, they don't help you anymore. The answers you had in high school, it doesn't help you in college. The answers you had about God that you were given in college, it does not help you post-grad. All the answers you had in post-grad that you're experiencing now when you're facing death in your family, it does not help you anymore. All the answers you had when you're in your 30s and 40s and all of a sudden your church is splitting, all these scandals are happening, it doesn't help you anymore. All your confidence is being questioned now. And you realize at this point that this whole time, you put God in a box. You thought you knew how God worked. It was just really clear to you. But now God has emerged from the box because you don't put God in any box. He is far transcendent beyond any type of human understanding. 
And so you're just kind of lost and confused. And at this stage, what happens to move forward is a lot of us become introspective. We go to therapy. We're really into the Enneagram. We're really into like our life maps. Again, all helpful, but there's only one way to move forward. And this one way to move forward is what they call the wall. It's called the wall. The wall is the dark night of the soul. The wall is when you come to the end of yourself. The wall is those last three rooms in your soul that you have not given to God. There are deep-seated wounds you have, deep-seated secrets within your life, deep-seated fears or deep-seated idols that you have been hiding your whole life and the wall is where God is confronting you about it. You want to be in control. That's the issue. You think it's your marriage, your wife is crazy, your husband's crazy, your friends are unreasonable, but in reality, no, you just want to be in control. You're manipulative. You like to manipulate people to get what you want. You don't listen to people. Like you've never listened to anybody besides you. Your career gives you far more meaning than you're willing to admit. You're selfish. You're really selfish. And you've been living selfishly your whole life. And it's too hard to admit. In fact, this is such a painful stage because there is no climbing around it. There is no digging under it. The only way is to get through it. And that's painful to break through a wall. And so most people, what they do, they just revert back to stages one to three. I just read my Bible. I just serve in the church. I just go to these conferences because that's way easier than being honest about who you are. It is way easier than admitting your faults and what those idols are beneath your heart. And you know you passed through the wall, not when you experience pain. Some people think, oh, I went through the wall because I had such a hard season, but now I'm in stage five. Like That is not the case at all. We all experience pain. You know you went through the wall when God humbled you, when you are so humbled where all the people you used to judge, you don't dare judge them anymore because you're worse than all of them. You realize the wall has revealed to you, I am the worst of sinners, as Paul says. I don't judge anybody anymore because God broke you. And that's why a lot of us, the wall stops us. The wall, we just, again, we just hide. But if you go through the wall, and the wall could take a long time, like years. If you go through the wall, you get to this fifth stage, what they call the journey outward. This is Joseph when he forgave his brothers in Genesis. This is post-resurrection Peter. This is when you have a sense of peace about yourself. This calmness, this acceptance of who you are because you're just resting in Christ's love. You are so aware of your faults. Like when people say, you talk too much, you're like, you know, people say that about me. Yeah, I do. It's like, it doesn't, no offense at all. Or like, hey, you're kind of sensitive. You know, I've been working on that for a long time. There's just like no defensiveness. You just know that's who you are and you accept it. You're somebody where you don't take things personally anymore. You're like, oh, that person didn't show up. He must have something busy in their lives. Oh, I get it. There must be, we're all like that. Like you're just really gracious to people at this stage. You have a loose grip on the plans of your life. Like you have this plan of like med school and going to like residency and when that falls apart, you're like, I guess, you know, God has a different plan for me. Like you just accept the reality of what the hand that God has dealt you. And you're willing, and this is such like an inspiring stage when you meet people like this, because they're not trying to impress anybody. Like they don't post on Instagram, like they don't care how many followers they have. They're just like really chill or they have Instagram, but they don't really care if you like it. Like it's all good with them. 
They've let go of their ego, like zero ego whatsoever, and yet full of empathy. It's a weird stage where they care less and less what people think of them, and yet they care more and more about people. They're the type of people they serve, and they don't care who they're serving with. They don't care who are they serving. They don't care who's in their community group. They can do community with anybody. They're like stage three, who they serve a lot, but they don't complain. They don't get burnt out. They're at just this peace of going and blessing and there's nothing in it for them. That's when you know you're, you passed the wall. And after this stage, what they say is stage six, they call it the life of love or union with Christ. This is Jesus on earth. This is Paul when he was in prison. This is Stephen when he was about to get martyred in the book of Acts. Not many Christians experience stage six, but all the ones who write about the stages of faith, they're usually stage six people. They are the opposite of the grumpy old man, the grumpy old woman. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you get older and older, you get grumpier and grumpier. And yet there's those those few individuals you meet in your life who are like, wow, you're really old and yet you're like the nicest person. They're so happy. They're so content. They're so grateful. There's like this childlike wonder in these folks. They're filled with gratitude. They notice the smallest things. Like you'll be walking, you're like, oh, look at that sunset. It's so beautiful. You're like, dude, it's California. Like, what are you talking about? But they just notice it. They're just so filled with peace, with joy. And the biggest thing of all is they are not scared to die. There is no fear in death. They don't just sing it, but they mean it. This is a journey of faith. When I see that, I just like long for that. I like long to get to that stage. Because the journey of faith is not this stagnant thing. It is this beautiful thing where you are being formed and formed by the Spirit to become more and more like Jesus, and each stage is very much needed. Here's the next slide here. The stages all have a purpose. Stage one humbles us. Stage two grounds us. Stage three empowers us. Stage four, it unsettles us. The wall, it unmasks us. Stage five transforms us. Stage six transcends us. Each stage is beautiful. And let me just conclude with this couple of final thoughts. How does this journey work? Just a couple of thoughts just to keep in mind as we go through this journey. Number one is this. Uh, if I could put the stages back up again, the full stages. Next one, next one. Yeah, that one. The stages, they're not linear always. I think some of us, if, you kind of, if you're like really into this stuff, you're like, oh, you're in stage two. Well, wait to stage three. Like, it's not always linear like that. If you do that too much, you kind of take it overboard. Uh, so I know some people, they went on a mission trip they read their Bible, they served a lot, and then later on, they're oh, now I'm a Christian. I'm like, what the heck? Like, they went through stage three and two, and then finally they recognized God. That's just how the spirit works sometimes. <laughs> like, it just happens in that way. Again, I know plenty of people who, like, they just kind of have this, you know, it's like all over the place of how they become a Christian. One thing that every stage theorist or every Christian thinker agrees upon, though, is the goal. It's always union or the love of Christ. The second thing is there's always a wall. And the third thing they all agree on is stages one to three, there's a big distinction between stages four to six. That's the only thing that everyone agrees on. Everything else is kind of just like all over the place. Uh, Another thing too is a lot of us here, uh, they call one stage your home stage, meaning there's just a comfort zone that you have of how to relate with God. For me, for example, my home, if you want to call it a home stage, it's stage two. I just, whenever I'm struggling spiritually, I'm like, I should just read my Bible. I just read my Bible. 
I just read books. For some of you, if you're struggling with your faith, you're like, you know, I should just start serving again. And you just start serving again. Or some of you, you know what, I'm just struggling. I just want to go to a conference. And you just hear like passionate preaching stage one. You just have this home stage that's there. Nothing's wrong with that. We're all wired differently. But the problem is like if you just go to your home stage, you could get stuck there. And a lot of us, we just stay stuck sometimes in whatever way we relate to God in a comfortable way. Here's the second thing to note. Stages one to three and stages four to six. Again, this is really hard because stages one to three, all of this is very outward focused. Bible, serving, making sure you're doing things. Stages four to six though, this is all very inward focus. A lot of it, this is where a lot of people like practicing silence and solitude, Sabbath, fasting. Stages one to three, what happens here is you're always looking for answers. What's the answer to this? What's the answer to this? You want answers from the Bible? Stages four to six, you're not looking for answers. You're looking for direction. I just need a direction from God. What is God, what's God telling me to go? How, where am I leaning towards? Stages one to three, you look at your gifts and your desires to decide where God is calling you to go, what God is calling you to do. Versus stage four to six, you're just looking at God's calling. Man, this is the cards he dealt me. I guess this is my life. This is obedience. And you just kind of run with that. Stages one to three, you learn how God works. Theology gets built for you. Stages four to six is you learn how God works in you. Self-awareness, personal, real relationship with God. Stages one to three, it's all about knowing about God. Stages four to six, you start to experience him, his presence in your life. If you are stages one to three, do not feel discouraged. Once again, so much beauty awaits for you. It's like people who are married for three years and they're fighting. I'm like, dude, I know it's rough. It gets rougher. But they say the sweet spot happens as you get older and older in marriage. Hang in there. There's a lot of beauty that awaits you. Third word, for those of us who might be feeling stuck or you haven't been growing for a long time, why haven't you been growing? Why do you feel stuck? And it could be, for some of us here, the reason why you have not moved in your journey of faith for a long time is you never actually began the journey. You've been practicing religiosity your whole life. You are very familiar with the church game because your parents and elder, your mom, someone who's really involved in church, you're forced to go to church, you're forced to become a member because it's the right thing to do, but you are not growing because you're just not walking with Jesus. And that could be, it's just religiosity, it's churchiness that's driving you, and that might be the reason why you feel stuck. And that might be a certain percentage of us. And for us, this is where I really encourage at the Lord's Supper, Jesus invites you, come, start this journey. You know a lot about him, journey with him. But others of us here, if you are journeying, you're stuck because you're stuck. You don't know how to move forward. And it's very normal to get stuck. It's very normal to not move forward. The problem is when you stay stuck, when you hit the wall, when you struggle in this way. And let me just encourage you, if you do feel stuck, this journey of faith is a lifelong journey. It is meant to encompass your whole life to your 60s, 70s, 80s. And you might just need something in your life to get you to grow. For example, some of you, what you need right now is a deep community. You need community in your life. But some of you, you don't need a community as much. You need a mentor, someone to dig close in your life. Some of you, you need a Bible study. You need to know who God is a bit better. But some of you, you don't need a Bible study to grow. You need therapy. You need to know what's going on in your soul because you know the Bible, but you don't know how the Bible applies to your life. Some of you, you need to serve. You have a big brain, but you're just not serving. That's the only way you're going to grow right now. Some of you, you need a nap. You need a rest. You need to like chill. You even serve. That's all you know what to do. And you need to stop doing that. And some of you, you need to surrender. 
You need to surrender. And that leads to another thing to say. The last thing is the wall. Again, the wall is not the crisis. The wall is not your parents getting divorced. It is not the death in your family. The wall is how you respond to your parents' divorce. It's how you've been responding to the death in your family. Because in this stage, what happens is all the junk in your soul is getting revealed. All the stuff that's coming out of you is now either going to be able to be transformed or you're just going to suck it in and just hide it underneath spirituality. And the wall, it sucks. God feels far. It could feel like a long season. You will hit the wall multiple times. You might knock out a brick or two, but man, do we get stuck at the wall. What's happening is, is you're experiencing what C.S. Lewis calls the fatal flaw. Something about you that you don't see about yourself. Everybody else sees it about you, but you don't, and God wants you to see it because this is stunting the way you're becoming like Jesus. It's painful, but see the wall as moments of invitations from God to experience the deepest transformation that you could ever experience. And so, given all that, do you know what stage you're in? Do you know your home stage? Most importantly, do you know what to do to move forward right now? If you're like me, you might feel stuck sometimes. I've spent years, if not decades, stuck in stages two and three. You could experience one, uh, two stages at the same time. Just back and forth, reading my Bible, serving, reading my Bible, pastoring. And I kind of got comfortable where I just settled in a box, my little box that's there about God. And that was cool doing that. And some pastors, they're like that the whole life. The whole life till you're 60, 70, you're just in this little box that's there. But by the grace of God, things have happened where like, wow, God radically changed me. I've seen abuse in the church. I've experienced spiritual abuse in the church. And I realized like, wow, doesn't matter how correct your theology is, you could be messed up. Doesn't matter how reformed you are, how much you know your Bible. And by the way, I'm reformed and I really feel like I'm trying to read the Bible all the time. You could still be messed up. And that just shook me. I've been seeing therapy for the past few years and I've grown aware that, wow, I am very aware of my past wounds. I'm not sure if I'm healed with my past wounds. I could report it to you, but am I healed from it? Am I transformed? I don't know. My theology, I've been learning more and more that God, yes, he is holy. Yes, he is just. But Jesus is gentle and he is lowly. The Bible, yes, it teaches us how to walk with God. But again, the law and the prophets, they all point to and can be summarized. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And man, my life goals, they are shifting. Before, when I saw somebody who was really smart or saw somebody who was really successful, I admired them. Now, when I see people who are really kind and really nice, I'm like, dude, I want to be like that. I really want to be like that. I really wish I could say I'm in stages five and six right now. Like, and just join me, guys. I'm just experiencing God's presence right now. But I know I'm, I'm kind of stuck in stage four. Because, man, I'm still like sarcastic. Sometimes the way I talk, I'm cynical. Uh, I still take things personally when it's not meant to be personal. I still can't handle criticism as well as I'd like to from my wife, from the congregation, from other people. I still get defensive about certain qualities about me. I still, if I'm honest, I'm avoiding surrender. But man, I'm so inspired when I see this. I don't get condemned. I look at that going, so that's what I have to look forward to though. I'm on a journey where God wants to change me to be filled with more peace, more gentleness, more kindness, to be like Jesus. Don't you want to be like that?
Doesn't your spouse want you to be like that? Your children? And so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, let's remember why Jesus, he even died on the cross for us. John 17, again, Jesus, he paints a picture before he dies on the cross. He prays a vision for all of us to abide in God's love and become formed into people of love. And the Lord's Supper, this is either an invitation for the first time or a re-invitation for all of us. Begin this journey, especially if you've been stuck. Let's move together. Let's follow the rhythms of grace that God calls us to. Let's move towards this place of love. And so as I invite the, actually not invite the priest team up, as I close this in prayer, uh, let's take a moment to just pause and I'm just gonna lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church. So let's all pray. And Lord, as you guide us